There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. of the Twilight Zone that we will be discussing tonight is actually adapted from a radio play and surprisingly it's actually the only Twilight Zone episode to be adapted from a radio play. Now I say surprisingly because Rod Serling was a fan of radio serials it was very much the entertainment the home entertainment of the time when he was growing up and obviously that's what people listen to so he probably heard a lot of them But saying that, perhaps it isn't that surprising, because if you listen to Dimension X, a show that we put out on DimensionXRadio.com, you know, a lot of people compare these stories to The Twilight Zone. They say, you know, this is like a radio version of The Twilight Zone. Personally, while I think they are great stories and I love that show, I don't think they're like The Twilight Zone for the most part at all and they do have a twist in the tale often but still there's still not quite that twilight zone feel about them and the same goes for suspense the other show that we put out except maybe for this story Orson Welles performed the play originally and different sources will claim that different performances are the first performance the book unlocking the door to a television classic lists the first time as being first broadcast on Suspense in 1942 and then on Philip Morris Playhouse a month later and then four years later on Mercury's Summer Theatre on air. But if you listen to the Suspense version of this story, Orson Welles does make mention of performing the play before, a year earlier, on Mercury Theatre. Now I really like these versions myself and if you were to push me on it I'd say that I probably like them just as much as this episode. I think they're really well done, really nicely put together. We'll talk about the comparisons more later, but for now let's take a look at tonight's episode of The Twilight Zone, The Hitchhiker. Her name is Nan Adams. She's 27 years old. Her occupation, buyer at a New York department store. At present on vacation, driving cross country to Los Angeles, California from Manhattan. How fast were you going, Mace? Oh, 60, 65, something like that. Blowout, skid marks, shoulders like footing and going 65 miles an hour. Lady, you're on the side of the angels. By right, you shouldn't have called for a mechanic. Somebody should have called for a hearse. Minor incident on Highway 11 in Pennsylvania. Perhaps to be filed away under accidents you walk away from. But from this moment on, Nan Adams' companion on a trip to California will be terror. 
her route, fear. Her destination, quite unknown. First broadcast on the 22nd of January 1960, written by Rod Serling but based on a radio play written by Louise Fletcher. This episode was directed by Alvin Ganza. Now we've already met Alvin Ganza, he directed the episode What You Need, and we'll see his work again later on in the season with episodes Nightmare as a Child and The Mighty Casey. Now he never actually returned to the Twilight Zone after directing these four episodes, but if you look at his CV it's full of a lot of popular shows from then on. Things like The Man From U.N.C.L.E., Hawaii Five-O and Quincy, that kind of thing. Now Louise Fletcher got the idea for the story from an incident that actually happened to her. She says in The Twilight Zone Companion, I first got the idea for The Hitchhiker in 1940 when I crossed the country from Brooklyn to California with my first husband, Bernard Herman, and we saw an odd-looking man first on the Brooklyn Bridge and then on the Pulaski Skyway. We never saw him again, however, I didn't quite know what to do with the idea until a year later, and shortly after my first daughter was born, I conceived the idea of doing it as a ghost story. After that, I wrote it in a couple of days during the afternoon, when my newborn baby was taking a nap. They reached radio, and Orson Welles, because Benny, my husband, was musical director of the Mercury Theatre on air, I knew Orson, and in fact, he had done a lot of publicity on him when I was working at CBS before my marriage to Benny. I wrote the show for him, designing the narration more or less to fit his style and manner of speaking. Wells did it eloquently and imaginatively, and I was very pleased with the results. I saw him again 50 miles further on, and then again on the long straight stretch through Virginia, just standing there, not menacing really. If anything, drab, a little mousy, just a shabby, silly-looking scarecrow man. I shouldn't even think about him at all, but it's the coincidence of the thing. The fact that wherever I go, there he is. Wherever I stop, I see him. No matter how far I travel or how fast I go, he's ahead of me. I'm on a turnpike now. I don't know why it is, but I'm frightened. A fear just about as vague as its object. Maybe it isn't really a fear, it's more just a sense of disquiet. A feeling that things are a little wrong. It's vague because that's what that hitchhiker is. He's vague. I wonder why it is he's always there. Now I'm going to try not to get too deep into a synopsis on this one because it's actually quite a simple story. It's all about following the main character Nan Adams on her journey and ramping up the tension as it goes because as she goes on her journey not only does it become clear that this hitchhiker is always showing up but it seems to be become more and more improbable than anyone would actually hitchhike along the road that Nana's taking get many hitchhikers around here hitchhikers here rare huh well couldn't be no rarer guy'd be a fool hitching a ride on a turnpike but look at it Miles and miles of straightaway and practically no speed limit. Now, what car is going to stop and pick up a guy under those conditions? Would you? Now, there are two scenes of note, I think, before we get to the end reveal of this one. 
The first is the incident at the railway. Nan is heading over the level crossing and her car breaks down. And there's the hitchhiker ahead of her, beckoning her on. Now the fear is no longer vague. The terror isn't formless. It has a form. He was beckoning me. That thin grey man in the cheap shabby suit, he was beckoning me. He wanted me to start across. He wanted me to die. I know that now. I don't know what to do now. So the scene calls for Nan to be in their car and the camera looks down the tracks and we see the train coming on. And the director said in the Twilight Zone Companion, we had the camera on the tracks and we were going to pull it off. Luckily, a train went the opposite direction and we realized how fast the train went through that intersection. When we saw that, we thought three times and put the camera on the side of the tracks. I think we've seen scenes similar to this many, many times in, in films now, but it's a well done scene and it, it works well. But it's things like this that actually pushed up the cost of the production because when things like this happen, they, in this instance, they had to pay a couple of police officers to be on the scene and so on to make sure everything was above board. And the scenes in the gas station, they had to have the gas station closed down for a little while and so on. So things like that added up because it does have this really good sort of open road feel about it. But when you're on the open road like that and you're using live locations, then you need to pay people to close those locations down. So her journey continues and the other scene of note I think is when she stops at a gas station that's closed. The gas station owner won't give her the gas that she needs to carry on but a sailor who's travelling back to his ship turns up and in exchange for a ride off Nan, he convinces the gas station owner to give him some gas. Do you want a ride? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. I mean it. I'll take you all the way into San Diego. Will you drive with me? Look, lady, you don't have to ask twice. You got yourself a rider, honest. I don't have any gas, though. We'll fix that up. You try the people here? Well, the man's in bed. I... Well, let's get him out of bed. Hey, Pop! You got some customers out here! Now, it's here that the sex of the lead character becomes an issue because in the radio play, obviously the main character is male because he's played by Orson Welles, but... Rod Sailing changed the main character to a female, and in his words, it was because it was pertinent and dramatic to make it a woman. But Louise Fletcher, the writer, didn't agree. She said in The Twilight Zone Companion, I was not asked to adapt a play to television, nor was I asked about the change of gender in the main character. If I had been, I would never have approved it. For good though Inga Stevens' performance was, I don't think a female in the part added anything to my play. In fact, I think that the dramatic effect was minimised. But it is kind of interesting how sex now becomes an issue. In the radio play, Orson Welles' character picks up a kind of free and easy girl. You know, she's not so much coming on to him, but she's saying how he's a nice guy and how appreciative she is and so on. And I guess it's possible that she might find him attractive. You know, she has that kind, like I say, a free and easy air about her. Now in the Twilight Zone version, this is where her sex really becomes an issue. The sailor is obviously attracted to her, you know, he's saying how she looks like a movie star and his body language is bordering on threatening, in fact. I think there's obviously quite a sexual threat there. You know, if Nan gives an inch, he seems like he might take a mile. 
So it, I think it's perhaps what maybe what Sailing perceived to be the drama in the situation is that here's a guy who is bordering on a threat himself, and he is so scared by Nan's crazy behaviour when she sees the hitchhiker that he actually backs off and he wants to get away from here. So then the sailor tries to leave the car and that's when Nan tries to use her sexuality to keep him there. I'm sorry, ma'am. Oh, please! Please, look, I know you think I'm out of my mind or something, but I've been seeing this man. He's been following me all the way across the country and if you could only help me and just stay with me until I reach the coast, please don't go. Please. Just give me my shoes. You listen, honey. What you need is a good night's sleep. You don't need a boyfriend. Just a good night's sleep. I'll see you around. No! Don't go! I think this is probably a good place to talk about Inga Stevens. That's the woman who played Nan Adams. Now, first of all, the name Nan is actually the nickname of one of Rod Sailing's daughters which is a strange choice considering what happens to her and Rod Zerling's daughter actually agrees with that. But the actress Inga Stevens is actually quite a tragic character. She was, she was about 25, 26 when she did The Twilight Zone in 1959 to be released in 1960 and sadly she'd only live another 10 years after this. I think she did a nice job in this episode. She's, she's incredibly beautiful and she had this great tomboyish quality to her. You know, she's very independent, not a typical damsel in distress. But she obviously is in distress, but not in a typical fashion that you often see in older entertainment. Inga Stevens was born in Stockholm, and unfortunately her early life was quite unsettled. Her childhood was very, was very much disrupted by things going on in her family and so on. And this you know, possibly contributed to her personal problems later in life. Now, I don't know her work myself, but her IMDb profile says that often there did seem to be a sadness to her in her roles, and I guess you could say that of this episode too. It's interesting to compare her portrayal of Nan Adams with Orson Welles' portrayal of the main character. With Welles' performance, his distress is like a dial that's slowly being turned up. The higher it goes, the more agitated he gets, the more stressed out he becomes. He pitches it very well and the escalation of his panic until that ending telephone call is really well done. With Inga Stevens, I think to a degree she withdraws into herself. There are moments of panic and hysteria, but for a lot of the time, and I think this is illustrated quite well in the scene with the sailor in the car, she switches off to those around her. She might be talking to him, but her mind is still very preoccupied with the situation that she's in, and she kind of just goes quiet, and her mind is working there in the background. I think it's equally as valid a performance as Wells' portrayal, so I won't say one is better than the other. They're just different, and they're both very good. But sadly, in 1971, she was found on a kitchen floor, unconscious, and died on her way to hospital. A combination of alcohol and drugs killed her and apparently it was declared suicide. There is a documentary out there somewhere called The Farmer's Daughter Remembered that chronicles her life and that's named after a TV series that she was in. I haven't seen it but for those of you who may want to learn more about her you may want to hunt that one down. 
so with the sailor gone now it's time to find out what's really going on but I think for this one let's do a quick little compare and contrast. You know it's rumoured that Rod Serling wrote this script very quickly and if you listen to the radio play you'll know why. They're almost identical in structure and they do use a lot of the same words. Nan Adams narration which incidentally was recorded twice so that they had a backup copy was very much like the radio play. You could probably close your eyes and still follow the story if you watch the Twilight Zone episode. So here's that last telephone call, submitted for your approval. Orson Welles and Inga Stevens in The Hitchhiker. Now I'm outside of a diner near Tucson. There's a payphone outside and I'm going to call home. Back to New York. Put in a call to my mother. So I can speak to someone familiar. Someone I love. Someone to bring back reality to me. Just a voice. A warm, familiar voice so I won't lose my mind. Asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar. Someone I loved. I could pull myself together. Operator, I'd like to make a call to my home in New York City. My name is Nan Adams. The telephone number is Trafalgar 41098. This is long distance. I'd like, uh, <laughs> I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm, uh, the, the number is Beachwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Whom do you wish to speak to, please? Who's this? This is Mrs. Whitney. Hello. Hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello. Hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Oh, who's this? This is Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney? I don't know any Mrs. Whitney. Is this Trafalgar 41098? Yes, it is. Where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Well, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. A nervous breakdown. A nervous breakdown? But there's nothing the matter with my mother. What do you mean a nervous breakdown? Well, it's all taken place since the death of her daughter. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... The death of her oldest son, Ronald? The death of her daughter? I... What do, you, what do you mean, the death of a daughter? I... Who's this? What number is this? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. It's all been very sudden. Nan was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident in Pennsylvania. A tire blew out and her car turned over. Your three minutes are up, sir. I like the Hitchhiker a lot. I think, again, it's shown the Twilight Zone doing something different than it's done before. Now, we have seen death before in the Twilight Zone. Mr. Death, in fact, in One for the Angels. But here it's quite different, and Mark Zickery actually refers to it in the Twilight Zone companion as a second visit by Mr. Death to the Twilight Zone as we saw in One for the Angels, but I'm not so sure. 
I, I do like the idea of death taking on different forms depending on who he's there to collect and their circumstances. And I do like the idea of death being the only recurring character in the Twilight Zone 2, maybe along with the devil. And the idea of death as a journey I think is a very potent piece of symbolism too, the last journey that we all take. And I think that's the key for me. I more think of the Hitchhiker as an American take on the Greek myth of the boatman at the River Styx. Now I'm no expert on Greek mythology but the gist of it is that there is a boatman called Charon or Charon, I don't know the correct pronunciation, who is the ferryman of Hades and he carries souls of the newly deceased across the river Styx and Acheron and those are the rivers that divided the world of the living from the world of the dead. So I think this fits the story of the Hitchhiker more than it being death himself. I don't think it's death, I think he's another being there to do his job. It kind of reminds me of Neil Gaiman's work in the classic comic series Sandman where mythic beings would often adapt and update themselves with with the modern world and this is Charon making himself into the hobo-like hitchhiker in modern for that time America. I think the mechanics of this way of passing is interesting, you know she's dead yet people in the world can still see her and speak to her and even be driven in a car by her. Now I think back to the words of our friend Stephen who often comments on the episodes on the website and he was talking about the episode Judgment Night and what he said was that Lancer's punishment was tailor-made for Lancer so it didn't actually really happen that way in the real world and that's the way he saw that episode and I think it was a good way of looking at it. Now could this be a similar thing whereby the world is the creation to house her spiritual form and ease her passing into the afterlife rather than her being a ghost in the real world? I'm not really sure, I don't know, I think, you know, it's something to mull over but I think the story is strong enough on its own and it stands up so it's not something that I think I really need to know the answer to to be able to enjoy the episode. But one thing that always does make me think is the way the hitchhiker presents himself or maybe the way that the episode presents him. He's played by Leonard Strong who is described on his IMDB profile as being a Eurasian American actor. He would often play Asian roles and nothing in his filmography really jumps out to me but I'm sure there's some good stuff in there. But the Hitchhiker as a character seems to have a bit of mischief about him occasionally and I don't know whether that's just them trying to elicit scares and so on. But that last line where the Hitchhiker is in the car and he says, you're going my way. It seems to be that it was delivered in a way like, let's say, let's say he was the devil or something and he was beckoning her to hell or, you know, some sort of villain, you know, that kind of thing, something like that. I think I would have possibly preferred it to be delivered as if to say, I think you understand now, you understand that you've died and I think now you're going to go my way. There are a final couple of footnotes. Lucille Fletcher, as we mentioned before, was married to Bernard Herrmann the man who provided several pieces of music for the Twilight Zone and also for the radio series Suspense. Lucille died at the age of 88 in the year 2000. The other is that the story was actually remade as a film or television film, I'm not too sure because I haven't been able to track it down, and it was remade in 1997 
and apparently they kept the main character's name as Nan Adams. I haven't seen it and there's not even a rating for it on IMDb so it doesn't seem to have created much of a stare but I guess I'd be curious to see it if it ever crosses my path. So perhaps it's best to remember this one by our two drivers, the two people whose portrayals made it famous. The legend Orson Welles whose career sadly devolved and as time went on it turned into something that he never intended and it's quite a, a sad story in itself. And Inga Stevens, the beautiful and talented actress who sadly died too young. This one's for them. I believe you're going my way. Nan Adams, age 27. She was driving to California, to Los Angeles. She didn't make it. There was a detour through the Twilight Zone. Well, obviously the last episode of the Twilight Zone podcast was quite a landmark for me, uh, something that I really enjoyed doing. I got to speak to, as you know, Mark Zickrey, the author of the Twilight Zone Companion, and I mean, what an interesting guy. I could have happily sat and talked to him for hours, you know. He he generously gave his time to, uh, you know, 20 or so minutes of, I think, of fascinating conversation there, so... I really appreciated that and it, it was a real pleasure for me to be able to do it so and I'm glad people seem to have enjoyed that too so thank you everyone. Now that interview was conducted in association with Cult Labs. Now Cult Labs is a cult website where various people go to talk about various things and as I've mentioned before the Twilight Zone forum, the official UK DVD and Blu-ray Twilight Zone forum is housed there. Now also there is now a Twilight Zone blog which I am overseeing and you can find that at the twilightzone.tv and I just want to mention there's a nice competition there that our friend Darkink won. We heard from him way back in one of the infocasts I did before I started on the podcast properly. Now Darkink One is a very talented artist and he has actually done a pencil and ink drawing of Rod Sailing that we're actually going to be giving away in a competition. Now if you go on the twilightzone.tv you can see his progress, there's some great pictures there of him actually doing the picture and you can see it going from pencil to ink and so on. And we're going to be putting some more pictures up when it's finished so you can see the completed thing and he's kindly going to donate that as a competition prize so if you go to the twilightzone.tv check it out and the details on how you can win that are going to be up next week. Now I have a little question I need to answer. Our friend Stephen, who I mentioned earlier, who comments on episodes of the podcast occasionally at the website dimensionxradio.com, he made some kind comments about the Mark Zickery interview and I appreciate that. And also Ben, our friend, he left some comments too, so thank you. He says at the end, your podcast is among my favourites. I'm content to listen to your programme without knowing anything about you but oddly enough my wife knowing how much I like you wants to know more and she isn't even a Twilight Zone fan go figure so if you want to satisfy my wife's curiosity you can say a few words about who you are and what you do you know it's an interesting question that perhaps puts into perspective the way I decided to approach the Twilight Zone podcast I guess it goes back to Harry Knowles the guy who created AintItCoolNews.com now that was a website that 
I guess it changed things on the on the internet when that came out because when he would write about a film, he wouldn't just write about the film, he would write about why he loved the genre, he would write about getting ready to go to see that film, he would write about the friends he talked to, his family who might be going with him, that kind of thing, and it, it changed the perspective of a lot of people. A lot of people criticise it, but a lot of people love it for the fact that it gives you insight into, a, into the life of a movie geek, if you like. So, that's fine. But I think for me, and I don't mean this as criticism of anyone's podcasts or the way they review films and that kind of thing, but I think for me, the problem I, I do have as a podcast listener myself, and I listen to a few, is that for Harry Knowles it seems to have worked, you know, this melding of his personal life and film. But for a lot of people it doesn't. And I, I see that with a lot of bloggers and so on who mirror his style where they talk a lot about themselves as well as the film. Now, for me personally, it's not the way I would approach things. Well, maybe that's not entirely true. It's not how I would approach things for this podcast. I think sometimes it lends it itself well to what you're talking about, adding that little bit of your personal life, that personal touch to it. But for more than people realise, well, for my personal taste anyway, I don't think it does. You have to... I think you really have to pay attention to the subject at hand first and get people to hopefully like you and enjoy you. And then maybe you can slip in those bits of personal information. I, I don't know, but to be honest, in this instance, it's not something I will ever do. I think purely out of reverence and respect for what we're talking about here, I made the decision early on that this had to be all Twilight Zone. There might be a couple of recollections along the way about something that really ties into it, but probably not too much, so I think that's the way I always perceived it, and that's the way I'll always stick with it. I think I'll always stay in the Twilight Zone myself, but I appreciate your question, Stephen, and uh, pass my best wishes on to your wife and my thanks for her interest, and I hope that kind of answers your question, even if it doesn't totally answer your question. So anyway, I hope you'll join me next time for the next episode of the Twilight Zone podcast when we'll be discussing the fever. And if you've got any notes or comments about that particular episode, then they're always welcome at feedback at the twilightzonepodcast.com. I'll see you soon.